Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. A little sign up here. It says to comply with the government mandate, please practice social distancing and or wear your face mask. Thank you. We found this, if you've lost it, uh, it was back here behind the building, laying on top of one of the drains. It's laminated. It's white duct. It's white duct tape. We don't have any white duct tape that I know of. And so it was laying upon the drain. Now, well, the roof, you know, of course, gathers the water, goes to the gutter, goes to the drains. It goes down the downspouts and dumps out into the drain or flows to the, the French drains out there. And this was laying across the top of one between Marsh's office, which is the little building next to us, and this building where they're connected. And needless to say, it backed up the water. No water could go down that eight-inch pipe. So it was a lot of water there that could have went down. Well, there was a water line outside around the little building, probably about this high up on the wall. So that tells you basically how deep the water was. It came into the building. We get a phone call from Peter today. We got a flood. He says it's made its way across Children's Church in here, across through the uh, K3 room into the hallway here by where the bathrooms are. Water coming in because that drain was stopped up. And he says, and uh, all the offices in the back, they're underwater. You know, the floor, I mean, it's just soaked. I think it was Wednesday we were able to put the rooms back together. Is that right? And so I said all this to say this to you. Thank you for all those that came last week, last Monday on Labor Day, and helped us, I was going to say us, get all this cleaned up and put away because that would have been a real good surprise for Pastor on Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock or 5.30 when I get here and to walk in and there'd be water everywhere. It would be, we're going to have to cancel some things. But uh, y'all came, and I just want to say thank you. It was, uh, probably had about 10, 10 11 people. Uh, nine people I was supposed to be number 10 but I didn't never make it uh, I had the shop back and all loaded up and then I found water that I needed to get up and I'm like uh I will be there shortly uh, as soon as I get this up but they got in here like gangbusters and got it all up got it cleaned up and we were able like I said to put the offices back together Wednesday and uh was it Wednesday Wednesday and it sounds like a good day doesn't it Hallelujah. But you know, I was just thinking about this whole thing about this drain being stopped up. And I was thinking, you know, do we do that? Is God pouring out things upon our lives and we've taken something and somehow or another it has found its way over to a place and it stopped the flow? And you know, I didn't think about it until I was standing there holding it and uh, I got to thinking about that as... And, uh, you know, this is where what we're talking about last week and, and again this week. Uh, because I know that what the Lord said to me to get it across. And uh, the words that God has for us today are words of life. And how many of you know that even a spanking is a good thing? It causes you to know that you're awake. It causes you to know you're alive. And I don't think God's going to spank anybody here this morning. But if he does, if you'll not cry, nobody will know it's about you. So... If you need Kleenex or something, just, you know, look to the usher and tell him, you, you know, act like you got a sneeze or something. We'll get you some. But, uh, you know, there's a good thing about repentance, about turning from where you are. Because if you don't turn from where you are, guess what you keep doing? That's keep going down the same path. How many of you ever missed your turn on the interstate? How many of you realize you probably use sometimes, most of the time, you've got 10, maybe 15 miles of repenting as you come back up the other side? Huh? Not only do you have to keep going until you get to a certain exit, then you've got to have to go back, travel the same mileage again, going in the opposite direction if you're going to end up at the right destination. Because nobody wants to continue going in the wrong direction. But anyway, um, uh, uh, turn with me this morning over in your uh, Bible to uh, Matthew's Gospel 24. Uh, actually, you can go to 25, uh, 25, and I will kind of refresh us a little bit about 
uh, where we started last week for anybody, just to kind of get us caught back up. Last week I talked about the fact that Jesus is his last week here on earth. And there he takes these disciples and they go into the, the, to the temple and they, uh, they're coming out of the temple here in verse 24, I mean, chapter 24. And the apostles are saying, Jesus, look at these stones. Look at the artwork. Look at the, how strong and the strength of this building here of the temple is. And they were making all to do about it. And the Lord said to them, see ye not that all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that should not be thrown down. Now, they were amazed by this because they pretty much knew that you don't put something together that big and enormous and have it just knocked away that easy. And so they didn't say anything, but when they got to the Mount of Olives, uh, the disciples came to Jesus privately and they asked him three questions. says, when shall this take place? When's this going to happen? And what would the signs be of your coming? And the other question was, is what's it going to be like at the end of the world? So three different things that uh, they wanted to know from Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, well, you'll just have to wait and see if this is going to be after you died and, or anything like that. No, he told them. He told them about future events that were going to take place thousands of years later that they weren't even going to know about. They weren't going to be here. But yet he told them because they asked. They wanted to, to understand some things, and he wanted them to know it. Matter of fact, Peter even wrote about one of them. And we'll get to that maybe in a little bit. But he began to reveal to them the different things. And, of course, we know over in uh, Luke's Gospel in chapter 21, some of this is same, uh, same material. is covered from Luke's perspective, saying the same things. One of the things that he made mention of uh, here, Jesus is, is talking about in the last days there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Amen. You don't know how to turn it off? That's embarrassing, isn't it? Huh? She's red now. It's turned off, right? Are you playing Flip Wilson now? The devil did it or what? I mean, I'm, just I'm just teasing you. Sorry about that on Facebook. But uh, nevertheless... Uh, he said, Jesus said in the last days there'll be wars and rumors of wars because a lot of people, if, if you're like me, how many of you thought that this whole thing pertaining to COVID and all the stuff that's happened in the last two years was like a two-week event? I mean, really. I mean, it was like, okay, everything happened, but it won't happen in Alabama. You know, it's, it's not going to happen here. And uh, you know, we got football games to deal with. We don't have time for that stuff. And so... Nevertheless, uh, I did, and, and I, I really did think, well, it's just going to blow by, you know, it's just what's going to be. And I didn't think about it being this long until basically last, I guess it was December as I was preparing uh, for the first of the year message, and the Lord says, this isn't the end of this, just because you flip a calendar. And he began to show me some things, and I'm like, okay, and I, sh I shared those with you. But he said in the last days that, that there'll be wars and rumors of wars, there'll be famines, there'll be pestilence, there'll be earthquakes in diverse places. And in Luke's gospel, it says, and men's hearts will fail them for seeing what's coming upon the earth. Do you know why men's hearts would fail them? It's because they were looking, not at Jesus, but at what was coming upon the earth. Are you hearing me? What are you looking at? We need to be looking at Jesus. We'll be the author and the finisher and the developer of our faith. We don't need to be looking at what's coming down the road to destroy us. You know, I was out there meditating about 4.30 this morning about the fact that you can't see COVID-19. You can't see any of these viruses. It's like we're already dealing with the, the unseen to, of, the, of a realm that we, we can't see. You know, you can deal, you can see a war taking place. You can see pestilence eating the crops. You can see famines taking place with the, with the weather conditions and the erosion and things like that. You can't see a pandemic. You just see the results of it. And people are living in fear today. They're living in fear, lots of fear. 
And, and the Lord says that men's hearts will fail them because they're looking at what's coming upon the earth instead of him. Are you hearing me? We get to make a choice. This is a choice that we make. This is not something we have to do. We choose to look at one or the other. And a lot of times we have to shake ourselves and realize, whoa, 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 whoa. I have watched way too much of what's coming upon the earth. I've heard way too much about what's coming upon the earth. From all these people that have no idea what's coming upon the earth. Huh? But what we do know is that our God loves us. And he said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He's going to watch over us. He's going to walk with us. He'll take us by the hand. He has a path that he has assigned for us to walk down. And if we'll walk with him, he'll take us down that to our destiny. And it's not destruction. It's not destruction. But nevertheless, he goes on through here and he tells all these things that's going to take place uh, about people's, the way they live, their hearts waxing cold, about tribulations and so forth. It talks about the, the sun being darkened and the moon being darkened and stars falling from heaven and so forth. And it talks about all these things and he's revealing to them all three of the things they've asked. And in one place he said, but the end is not yet. And this is the beginning of sorrows and things like that. And so he gives them all of this and he comes to a place where in verse 43 of chapter uh, uh, 24 he says, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in watch, what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered this house to be broken up. He said, know this. Know what? He said, know that if you understand that I'm for you and not against you, and understand what I'm about to share with you in the next four parables, if you know this and you're watching, then you'll, you'll see this all take place and you won't be caught unaware. Amen? And then he said this, he says, Therefore, be also ready. Say ready. ready. Say it again. Say it like a minute. Ready. Say it with an attitude. I'm ready. ready. We need to be ready for what's fixing to take place. We need to be ready for what's taking place. And that word ready in the Greek is hitomus, and it means adjusted. It means making adjustments means make ready, be prepared. And we do so every time we hear of a hurricane, like I mentioned last week about Hurricane Ida coming. People made adjustments. They went and bought water. They bought gas. They boarded up their house. They left town. They did all bought batteries. They bought all these things because they were preparing, making an adjustment to everyday life for what was about to happen. And Jesus said, when you see these things take place, you better make adjustments in your life. Hello. Now I don't know about you. But that got my attention. It got my attention last week. And it's kept it all week long. It had my attention this morning. But he said make adjustments. Make adjustments. And he talks about. The fact that. He called people two things. Wise serpents. Servants. And foolish people. Not fools, but foolish people. Now, it was kind of strange that all of the people that were being foolish just so happened to be not of the world, but of the church. Are you hearing me? And we can go over these real quick like again. But he said right here, he says, blessed is the servant. In other words, highly favored, honored. To be envied is this servant whom when his Lord cometh shall find him what? Making adjustments and doing what God's called us to do. Amen? He said, but verily I say unto you that he that he'll make him ruler over his goods. But, but and if an evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming. And how many times have we heard that? Huh? Oh, yeah, they've been saying that since the beginning of time. Hold your place. And go to Second Peter. Second Peter. Chapter three. Now this was written in sixty six AD. Basically thirty sixty six AD, about thirty three years after Jesus died. 
was buried and resurrected. 33 years later, Peter is writing something, and you tell me where he might have heard some of this. Knowing this first, that there in verse 3, chapter 1, uh, chapter 3, 2 Peter 3, 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers or mockers, walking after their own lust, saying, Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continued as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, either this has such an impact upon Peter's life that one of the last things that Jesus spoke while he was on earth was about this very thing. The last week of his life, he made mention and revealed to his disciples, and it must have had an impact on his life, or Holy Spirit brought back to his remembrance this as he wrote this in this epistle. I believe it was both. I believe it, it stuck with him, and I believe he... Holy Spirit had him to write these things. It says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world then was, being overflowed with water, perished. And it goes on and it, and it talks about the a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness but is long-suffering towards usward, not willing that any should perish, but they all should come to repentance. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Listen to that. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works uh, that are therein shall be burned up. Now either Jesus told them all of those things and it just wasn't recorded about the earth being burned up in the fervent heat and all. Or the Lord revealed to him these things. But he knew it. And it goes on and talks about it. But the thing I want you to see is the fact that there were mockers then. There's mockers today. There's going to be people that are going to always mock. And don't be moved by it. They're just a bunch of fatheads. They don't know. Amen. But that was one of the things of the signs of the times. And you'll find that these people right here, it says in the servant in his house, says, my Lord delayeth his coming. His Lord delayeth his coming. So that was not somebody outside the house, but somebody in the house. Are you hearing me? This is not talking about the, the heathen out in the world that don't know anything. This is talking about people in the church. There'll be people of my house in the last days. Ah, oh, he's not coming back right quick. We can continue doing what we want to do. We've got time to what? To repent later. We're going to keep on doing what we're doing now. And now when we start beginning to see this other stuff, then we'll start making changes. Well, that's an attitude, isn't it? Of I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't really love God. I don't want to make changes. I don't want to do these things. And so we go into the next parable when he's talking about the ten virgins. Five wise and five foolish. There again, he didn't say they were fools. He said they were being foolish. But notice what happened to this other one that delayed his turn. His uh, return said, uh, he's, he's just delaying his coming. He went and got drunk, hung out with the drunkards. And it says that he was cut in half. And his portion went with the hypocrites where they were weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now where would that be? Is that purgatory? That's something Catholics made up, wasn't it? Purgatory? And it said there was heaven and there was hell, right? Is there any weeping and gnashing of teeth in heaven? So where do you suppose they went? But they were in the house. What? Yeah, they were in the house. So now we've got ten virgins. Five wise, five foolish. All of them had lamps. All of them had oil. Because it says that they didn't take their oil with them. And then, at the very end, they got up. They all were sleeping. They all were slumbering. They, they trimmed their lamps. And then their oil that they did have in their lamp was going out. But they didn't bring any with them. And so they asked the five the wise ones, give us of your oil. And they said, no, we can't do that. We want to make sure we have enough for us 
to do what we've been called to do. So that as they went off to get it, the, bride, the groom came, took them in, and the door was shut. Now they went and got their oil off their coffee table, out of their cabinet, in the garage, wherever it was. They come back and said, we're here, we're ready. And he said, I don't even know you. Now where did they start out? In the house. So they were there all along. Why wasn't they prepared? Why is it they were not prepared? So, well, we'll blame the preacher for it. Well, five of them was smart enough to do it. So the preacher must have been doing something right. And five of them wasn't. But we know this. He wasn't talking about the five virgins and the five harlots. Huh? We weren't talking about the five virgins that had lamps and the five harlots that didn't have a light, that lived in darkness. No, no, no. He didn't say that. Now, I didn't write this. Jesus did. Okay? So we need to really pay attention to one of the last things he's talking about to all of us, about the days that we live in and are closer than ever has been in history. We're closer than, than yesterday, right? So we're already closer than any, any time in history to this time of that he's coming back. And we need to know these things. If not, we'll live in fear. And there's no need to live in fear. And he said here, they, had, they come back and they, he says, I don't know you. How is it that he didn't know them, but yet they've been in the house the whole time? It reminds me of a parable that Jesus spoke of, talking about the lost coins that the woman... Widow woman had, uh, had coins, and, and one of them rolled off the table basically onto the floor, and she swept the whole house and lit the candle, looking everywhere, trying to find this coin. And it said that when she found it, it's the same one that went about the, there was three parables that he, he talked about, about leaving the 99 sheep going after the lost one, one that had just wandered off. Jesus left and went, went after him. And about how this woman searched the whole house, swept everything, while looking for that one coin that had fallen from the table. Now, where was that coin? Was it outside? No, it was in the house. See, there's those that will wander off. They didn't mean to, they just did. And Jesus says, I'm going to go get them. And then there's those that get lost and they're in the house. In the house. And that's what these people were. These people were lost and in the house. And then the prodigal son, he didn't go after him. But the prodigal son repented and came back to him, to the house. And he was there for him. So here it is. These five virgins, they weren't, the foolish ones, they weren't prepared. They didn't know the groom. They didn't know Jesus. But they'd been in the house the whole time. How is it you can be in church and not know God? Well, it's been going on for 2,000 years, okay? It's been going on that long. And there's ways you can find out whether you really know God or not. And if you're interested, I'll be happy to sit down with you and go over that with you. But just a couple of them is, is what do you talk about all the time? What do you think about all the time? Is church an add-on to your life? Is God just an add-on like God? being a member of the YMCA? Or is it who you are? Well, I don't know about you, but 1979, he became everything to me. That's the night I died. And I've never let that depart from me. Why? Because I received life. I was already walking in death. And I knew it. At 25 years old, I was good as a dead man. And you know what? We have to do things in life. You know, I had to make some adjustments. Huh? Because I didn't know how to be a Christian other than go to church. Well, half of them in the church is lost, is what he said. <laughs> who was I going to emulate? I mean, you know, the lost people, that's who I would have gravitated to. But nevertheless, I had to make some adjustments in my life. There was things I had to learn. You know, one of the things I had to learn was the things to put off. Paul said, 
put off certain things. Put off the old man. But he didn't say just take the old man off and be there. He said put on the new man. Then he said put away some things. That sounds like some adjustments to me. How about you? I mean, he didn't say, well, just stay the way you are. No, he said put off. That's an adjustment. Put on. That's another adjustment. And put away that. That's another adjustment. That's the way you've been living, right? You had to make some adjustments. And there he is saying, I'm telling you these things because you might need to be making some adjustments so that you're not found in this position like these five foolish virgins who weren't prepared. They didn't prepare for that day. They thought they were all right. What was it in their thinking all all that time in the house that caused them not to get it? Nevertheless, it says there that at midnight when the when the cry was made and they came and it says, says I don't know you watch therefore for you neither know the day or the hour which the son of man comes he said didn't know them what happens to those that don't know Christ they go to heaven no it's not good then it gets on in verse 14 that's where I want to spend some time this morning it says for the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling to a far country who calleth his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several abilities, and straightway took his journey. Then he that received five talents went and traded them with the same, with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth, and they hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou hast delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five, more, five talents more. And the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the master's happiness. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou hast delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I've gained the two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou in to what? The master's happiness. Mm. Then he that received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thee were uh, that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and hid the talent into the earth. And lo, Here's back your talent. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the master's house, right? Master's happiness. No, he didn't get a a trophy for participating. Just because he was one of the servants didn't mean that he got what the other two got. Are you getting this? No, there was consequences for his actions. And it says there, he called him a, a wicked and slothful servant and told him, uh, that thou oughtest at least gave it to the banks and made interest out of it. And then he said this to him. Take the talent that he's got and give it to the one that got ten. But I want you to understand what he said there in verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant unto outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where, was he, where did he start? In the master's house. In the master's house. He was not outside the house. He wasn't the guy down the end of the street. No, he was from the house. <coughs> Excuse me. So this has gotten my attention. And the last one as well. Because this one goes into the details of what are we to do? What are we to do with what God's given us? Here we see that he's given us talents. Now let me explain something to you about talents. Talents here. Uh, in the scriptures, if you go back into an old dictionary, those previous to 1980, you'll find scripture verses that go along with the word talent. Anything after 1980, you're probably going to find uh, it's something that your ability to sing or do art or dance or sports or things like that. But prior to 1980, it always related to the fact that these were God-given abilities. Yeah, I like that. Because it's true. They were God-given. You didn't ask for them. You didn't say, well, listen, I think I'll take this one. You didn't get to go choose, choose it out. No, these were all given by God. 
So who do they belong to if God gave it to you? They, are, they belong to God. That's, that's a simple right there. But he says, I gave them talents. Now that word talent means a unit of measure. It doesn't mean uh, a talent of gold or a talent of silver or a talent of copper. Though Those things uh, identify with the value of the talent. But it's, a talent is a unit of measure. So he gave to one five units of measure. And another, he gave two units of measure. And the other one, he gave one unit of measure. The value of that unit of measure is what it's composed of. The substance it is. But he gave them a unit of measure to do something with. To do something with it. And he took those talents. Went and made five more. But he gave each one of them the talents. He didn't give it to a stranger. He gave it to people of his own house. People that's there. That's us. And he said that he did so in verse 15. Pull that up, would you please? 25:15. Well, it says, And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man. Say every man. According to his several ability. So God didn't just give you talent. But he gave you the ability to use that talent. Think about it. It's not just about the fact that he gave you a talent. He's looking and saying, I gave you the ability to do something with that talent. What are you doing with what I gave you? I gave you not only the talent, but the means to do something with it. That has to be developed. Do you hear me? There's some things that have to be developed. These guys must have did that. They took five and went and made five. He took two and went and made two. But the other guy went and buried his. Went and buried it. And it says that after a long time he came back to reckon with him. And Jesus is coming back. And he said this to him. The guy that had one talent says, I knew you. No, he didn't know him. He, he started out telling a lie again. I knew you. He didn't know him. If he really knew him, he would have known that he was a rewarder of those that diligently sought him. A rewarder of those that did right. Because if he'd have known him, he would have realized that if I took my five and went and made five, he was a rewarder. He didn't slap him in the head and say, why didn't you make ten? How come you only got two? No, he rewarded them. So he didn't know him. He could have known him. The other two knew him. He could have known him, but he didn't. Where was he from? The house. Same opportunity. Everything was the same. He says, I saw you as a hard man. A hard man? I thought we served a good God. A giving God. A merciful God. A God that is slow to anger. He is. This guy said, he's a hard man. He's a hard guy. That's what the world says about God. They say, he just don't want us to have fun. He said, I want you to have life. Because life will produce happiness. And what you're looking for is some temporary fix of your flesh. You don't know what fun is. He said here to him, thou a hard man. Mm. Harsh person. You're severe. He didn't know his master. Reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where you're not strong. He, but now he's going to get truthful. He says, and I was afraid. Now here we go. He said, I was afraid. Now he tells the truth. He was fearful. Question is, is why was he fearful when he had the ability to do his job? Why was he fearful when he had the ability and the talent to do what God called him to do and told him to do, what the master told him? Because he said he gave everybody according to his several abilities. So he had the ability, he had the talent. Why didn't he do it? 
It could be that he never developed his abilities. Whoa. Wait a minute. Yeah. Maybe he didn't develop his abilities while he was in the house. Maybe the reason a lot of times the church doesn't do what the church is supposed to do is because we never developed the abilities that we have while we were in the house and there was no pandemic. When there was no famine. When the people were out there that was hungry and we saw them, we fed them. Why? Because we were in the house. We knew him. We worked and we developed our abilities. Those that didn't develop their abilities, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? When did we, not, when did we see you in the hospital? Are you hearing me? Maybe the ones in the house that develop their abilities, they see. And those that don't, well, they live in fear. He was fearful probably because he never developed his abilities. The talent was just talent. It was a unit of measure. It was going to do what it does. How many of you know $1,000 in a, in, a, in a wise man's hand is worth the same thing as it is in a foolish man's? They're both 1000 That didn't change. The only difference was is these people developed their abilities. This man did not. He didn't develop the abilities, the things that God gave him to be able to do and provide for him to, be, to do his destiny. How many of you realize we must develop our gifts and talents that God gives us? He even said, Paul told Timothy, the pastor at the church, he told him, he says, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You told the pastor to study? Apparently, he needed to study. This is the same guy. Now, Timothy was a good fellow. I mean, he was a great guy, great man of God. And Paul was telling him, stir up the gift that's within you, buddy. You know why he told him to do that? Because he wasn't stirring up the gift. He didn't do it just to be mean. He told him, you're not doing what you need to be doing. If you were, we wouldn't be having this conversation. He wasn't being mean to him. He was getting him out of from where he was at. Because he's looking at all these people that are older than him, telling him how stupid he is because he's young. And that he don't know God's word. He said, you studied to show yourself approved. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The word study. Hmm. That word study there means make an effort. Make an effort. Don't take your abilities and say, well, I've got these abilities. I don't know what they are. I think I might be a, a good at music, but I just never tried to pick up an instrument. I, see, I don't have to worry about my ability of singing. I can sing, just not well. And for your sake, I won't get up there with a microphone. But I make a joyful noise from right here. And God thinks it's great. You need to get eyes and ears like God. Make an effort. It comes from another Greek word. That word, make an effort, comes from another Greek word that says, do it quickly, do it with speed. Don't take your ability and say, well, I've got all these abilities and don't do anything with it. Wait till you're 55, 60 years old and say, you know, I think I'm going to go get them out of, out of my drawer. I think they're in the drawer, in the, down in the bottom, in the back. I'm going to get them out and put them to use. No, he said, take those abilities when you know that you, what they are. Start developing them at an early age. That's why it says train up a child the way he should go. When he gets older, he'll not depart from it. He's learned how to walk in this. How many of you know that in life, one must make adjustments. We have to continually make adjustments. You know, I was down there the other day at a little house down here on the property, and Peter had an electrical problem in there. And so I went down to address it, and we were talking about the things. He said, you know, Dad, he said, it's just that one circuit that comes over here, and it goes to this room, and it jumps over to this other room. And when the power goes he said, all of it goes out down through there. And then he began to tell me, he says, you know, he says, and in the kitchen, he said, all of that's tied into this other stuff because when it goes out, it's over here goes out. Yeah. And I said, do you realize that when they built this house, 
when they built this house, there was no such thing as a microwave. When they built this house, the dishwasher stood in front of the sink. Huh? There was no dishwashers. The dryer was a rope in the backyard. Air conditioning? They didn't know what that was. There was no such thing as air conditioning. How many know that along the way that house has had made some adjustments to be able to do these things? Huh? I didn't say it was done well. I just said it's been made some adjustments. I've went down there. I've looked at the wiring. I'm like, Lord Jesus. And so, on my birthday, I'm in the attic on my belly. Thankful that the people that rewired this particular room didn't do it right. Because if they'd have done it right, I couldn't have fixed it. So what do you mean, Pastor? Well, they did it wrong, and but they were trying to do right. And it lasted for 15 years. But now it didn't work. Nobody's touched it. It was just age, decay, and so forth caused it to mess up. But if they'd have done it right, it would have been stapled in a position where I could never have taken it loose and got it over to fix it. But I was able to do it. And I got it fixed. Now, when it comes to people, how many of you realize that one time we were young? At 67, it was a lot harder to climb around in that attic than it was at 20. Huh? 25, it's no big deal. Just get up there and go for it. It doesn't matter how hot it is. It doesn't matter how much insulation's up there. I'm a man. Just do it. At 67, I got long sleeves on, long pants on, tennis shoes. Should have duct taped my wrist and my pants legs around my neck or something, you know, don't want any of that to get down in me. But there I am laying in the midst of it doing this work. And you know what? It was a little harder. As a matter of fact, I was in one spot and I was like to get up and then I felt a cramp. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be stuck up here. If I, how am I going to stretch? If I stretch too far, I'm going to hit a nail from the roof line. Or I'm going to fall through because I'm going to get off of this board real quick. And I'll just fall through the, you know, through the drywall to the floor for some relief. You know, when you get those cramps, you can't get, I'm like, think, think, think different. Think di Seriously, that's what I do with a cramp. I'm, don't think about that cramp. Don't, 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 let, don't let it do it. But you learn to think differently. You make adjustments. When you were young, you had energy. You had strength which carried you through the circumstances. But as you get older, you lose some of that energy. You lose some of that strength. So you must make adjustments in the way you approach the circumstances. Are you hearing? And I found this to be true in my life. And one must modify what he or she used to do that was successful in order to continue to be successful. It's just the way it is. You see, instead of doing yard work at my house all in one day, now I have to do it over the course of a few days. A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. Otherwise, if I did it all in one day, I'm going to be laid up for about three days. Are you hearing me? Sore, wore out, no good to anybody. So I can still accomplish what I used to do, but I had to modify it to let it be over a little bit length of time. So it still gets done, still be successful, but you have to change the way you're doing it. We need to make adjustments. Some people in the house of God need to make some adjustments in their life and in the way they think and the way they act in order to continue. It's, it's okay for a baby to do bad, to mess up, to make a mess in a diaper, to throw up. But at 60-something years old, it shouldn't be that way. Okay? And he goes on, and he says, well, let me another example. How many of you know who Kobe Bryant is? Now, I'm not a basketball fan, but he was a, a great star in the NBA. Played, I think, 20 years in the NBA. 20 years, basketball. Let's say he got in there at 25, 
or 17. So he was 37 years old playing against people that were a lot younger than him, faster than he was, and stronger than he was at 37. Now, at one time, he was a strong dude. How many of you know that he scored in his last game 60 points? 60 points. He averagely didn't make that many, maybe 30-something points on him, average or whatever, 30-something. Here he made 60 points in his last game. In the fourth quarter, he outscored the entire opponent, 23-21. to 21. That ain't bad for an old man, is it? 37 is old when you're playing basketball in the NBA. And they asked him about it, and you know what he said? What people don't know is I have practiced for 365 days this past year, eight hours a day to make this possible. But when he first started out, he didn't do that. He had strength. He had ability. He had energy. He could go for it. But now, He's older. He couldn't depend upon his speed. And he couldn't depend upon his strength. He had to start being, I have to outsmart my opponent. I'm going to have to double, uh, dip, dip over this way or that way or twist around and do different things that I used to not do. I used to just push my way through. But now I've had to make some adjustments. He didn't change his goal. He just changed the way he played the game. He just changed his game. Why did he do that? Because he desired to win. It wasn't about the money. Money was guaranteed. We don't do works so that we can get salvation. Salvation is guaranteed. We're saved. He didn't do it for the money. We don't do what we're supposed to, like feed the hunger, hungry and get drink to the thirsty, and do the works that God's called us to do. We don't do that because we're trying to earn salvation. We do that because we are saved. What he did was that he revealed his work ethic, revealed his character. Martin Luther King said that there was a man in Montgomery back in those days that would shine shoes better than anybody else. He said, I've traveled all over the country. He said, there ain't nobody that can shine shoes like this guy down in Montgomery, Alabama. He said, when I go get my shoes shined, I wait till I go there. He said, that man takes that shoe, and he will make it an artwork. He puts everything he's got into that shoe. He's developed a, <coughs> it doesn't matter whose it is. <coughs> he takes it, and he pauses, he works on it. He puts his whole thinking, everything about it, into that shoe. He took pride in every pair of shoes he polished. And he wasn't going about it with just what I got to do to get by and get a tip. It was about giving it his all. And he preached, Dr. King preached about this man in a message. And it went something like this. He said, if you're going to be a street cleaner, be the best street cleaner. If you're going to work in a restaurant, be the best waitress. If you're going to do this, be the best at it. It didn't make any difference about what you do. It doesn't matter about what your talent is, whether it is gold, silver, or copper. The thing is, what are you doing with what you got? How many of you realize this man that came back and reckoned with these three servers didn't come back about the amount. He come back about what he did do or didn't do. He didn't get kicked out because he had that one talent. It's because he didn't do anything with what he had. He called him a wicked and lazy servant. What are we doing with what God gave us? If he's given us gifts, and we look over there in Romans chapter 12, and he says he's given people gifts of teaching, gifts of serving. That's what it means when it says ministry, serving. Giving them gifts of being uh, patient, uh, gifts of hospitality givers, all these things. He's got them listed right there. And then he gets over the 12 gifts of the Spirit, or the nine gifts of the Spirit, I meant, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says that God, and in both of those he says, as God gives them. 
he gave them with abilities to use them. And they were always God's gifts that he gave to man and says, I'm requiring you to do something with these. Have we taken these gifts and developed them? Have we made adjustments to everyday life so that we now walk in the fullness of what he's given us? Are we working at it? Are we being diligent? If not, we're not ready. We hadn't made adjustments. We just received a gift. And we never even took the time to open it up. Or we just set it on a shelf. Sad thing about it is this guy didn't have to be this way. He could have been different. There was nothing different between him and the other two guys. But he didn't develop what God gave him. And I don't know about you, but as a minister, that bothers me. That there's people in my church that I love that aren't doing anything with what talent God gave them. They're not doing anything with the abilities that God gave them. And I'm not talking about, well, I just ain't got time to be on a worship team. I don't have time to do it. No, 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 no. There's more gifts than just that. There's many gifts. And you hear people whine and complain and saying, you know, well, you know what they said. You know, 10% of the people do 100% of the work. You know why? Because the other 90% abilities aren't even being developed. They could be. They just choose not to. Thank you for your enthusiasm. We live in a day of just get by attitude. And it's prevalent. It's in our society. Just get by. Back in the 90s, I'd gone to Russia three times in two years. Spent all together probably five, six weeks there over the course, and I noticed some things in the different cities I went to. The construction, the way they went about things was wrong. It was, never was done right. Could have been done right, but it wasn't right. And I'm looking at things, I was like, why is it that a piece of crown molding has to be crooked? Why would that be? It could, it could go up with and be straight. Why is it four inches on this end and two inches on that end. And I'm looking at things. And I'm like why are they doing that? Why are you, you just getting by. When you could have been done correct. So I go down to what? I go down to the Cayman Islands. And I find that same thing happens there. Go to Mexico. Same thing happens there. Go to these third world countries. Same thing happening in those places. And I'm looking at these things. I'm like it doesn't have to be this way. You have the materials on the job. Why can't you just do it right? But there was an attitude in the culture of what do we got to do to get by? Well, there's crown molding. It's on there. You know what I find it now in our, in our country? That same spirit. What's the least I can do and get by? I'm not interested in doing it right. I just want to know what I have to do so that you don't fire me. And I want to know exactly where that line is because if you fire me, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to take you to court. That's, the li that's where we're living. But it doesn't have to be that way. And that's the kind of attitude that's creeped into the church. What do we have to do just to make it to heaven? And not a matter of fact, it's not even what I have to do to make it to heaven. It's what I have to do so that I don't go to hell. I ain't even interested in going to heaven. I just don't want to go to hell. That's the attitude. Tell me that our master finds pleasure in that. I don't think he does. They don't want to know me. They just want to get their picture taken with me. They want to make a selfie, selfie with me. That's God's attitude. They, people just want to take a selfie of me and, and Jesus so I can go around and tell everybody, say, look, I can give a, an, I put on a show that I know him because I took a picture with him. Jesus saying, you could have known me. We could have had a lot of pictures. But you didn't want to know me. You just wanted to make out like you knew me. And that's what was happening here with these different people. What's so important that we don't want to do it right? 
We don't want to invest our life in it. What's so important out there? Is TV that important? Why is it that we don't do our jobs and our duties as unto the Lord? That's what that Montgomery man did. Polishing them shoes. He did it as unto God. Why can't we do that? Not to an employer. You don't work for the employer. You work for God. I've heard it said many times that practice makes perfect. And I believed that lie for many years. And that's what it is. It's a lie. Because practice does not make perfect. You hear coaches say it. I heard it all my life coming up. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. We're going to practice. No. Perfect practice makes perfect. You practice halfway getting by, that's what you're going to perform. Halfway getting by stuff. That's why Nick Saban gets so dadgum mad at practice. I should have stayed at the beach. I should have went to the lake house. Y'all going to act this way? This is the way you're going to play. It's the truth involved in it. It's perfect practice. Why is it we don't do it when nobody's looking? If we're practicing just to get by at work, if we're practicing just to get by at home, if we're practicing just to get by with relationship, chances are when you're approaching the things of the Lord, you're just approaching it with the same attitude of I just want to get by. Just want to get by. And our attitude and our desire should be to know Jesus not just about Jesus. This servant said that he was afraid. Why was he fearful? When he had the ability to do the job? Because he never developed it. He didn't do anything with what he had. Could have, but he didn't. I don't want anybody to hear, well done thou good and faithful servant, enter into the, ma the master's happiness, and he tells another one the same thing. And when you get there, he says, what are you doing here? You didn't even take the time to know me. Yeah, you've been in the house the whole time. But you never took the time to do it. You see, in the midst of developing these, these abilities, it goes over into the fourth parable. As these things are developed, as we realize these gifts are not just for us. They're not even ours. They're God's, and they weren't just for us. It's for everybody. You have gifts that I need. You have talents that I need. The one next to you needs it. Scriptures are filled with this, talking about the body of Christ. You're not just the foot. You're part of the body. The body couldn't get there without the foot. We all need each other. And he's given us, the, given us to us to be a body. And what happens when a part's not needed? Gets diseased or it's removed. Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. The only reason you have life is because of me. The life is coming through the vine to you branches. And he wants us to understand this and develop these abilities to know this is not about the fruit that you get, it's the fruit that you produce for others. And we, that, that's the maturity. That's the growing up inside of us that takes place when we develop these abilities. When we start using these talents, these things that God gave us, what do we do with them? We did what Jesus would have done if he'd been here. He fed the hungry. He gave thirst, water to the thirsty. He clothed the naked. He visited those that were sick and in prison. And then when they say, well, when did we see you that way? It's, look, when you saw anybody in my image and likeness, and you did that for them, did it to me. It didn't matter if they were saved or not. And that's what Bill was saying this morning. When we develop these gifts and talents, we come to a, a realization, first of all, that they, were, they all belong to God. We didn't get to choose what color we are. We didn't choose what, what country we were born in. We didn't get to choose how much money we had growing up. All of those things were not our choice. That was God's choice. But he gave you. Not excuses for not succeeding, but he gave you abilities so that you would succeed. With every head bowed and eye closed, nobody looking around this morning. You may be here this morning, and you know that there's some things that, that in your life that God's given you some talents. He and he's gave you the abilities to go along with it, and you haven't put it to use. You know that they're there. 
but you hadn't done anything with it. And the Lord says, I'm not angry with you. It's not too late. I want you to start using what I gave you. Because there's people out there that need what I gave you. And if you'll develop those things that I put within you, if you'll make those adjustments, I can use you. I can use you. I can flow through you to meet their need. But unless you make these adjustments, you've cut me off. You've cut me off from being able to flow through you. And the Lord desires to flow through you. Right where you are, you say, I, I don't even know what abilities he's given me. I, I don't know what talents he's given me. Well, just stop and ask yourself this question. Do I do what I do as under the Lord, or do I do just to get by? Is it a just get by attitude? If it's a just get by, that means that you're not even developing what you got. That's how you'll know. This is a hard message in one sense because we realize that some people is not going to make it to heaven, although they've been in the house the whole time. The question is, and it's only for you. It's not for everybody else. What are you doing? What are you doing with what God gave you? Are you going to hear, well done? Are you going to hear, cast him out? Cast the unprofitable servant out. What will you hear? I'm looking around in the room. No eyes are open. Nobody's looking around. I don't need to know any of your history. I just want to know, can I pray with you? If that's you, I just want to pray encouragement. Just slip your hand up quickly. I'll do The Lord sees that hand. Thank you for being honest. Anybody else? God sees that hand. Thank you for being honest. Because see, you're not just honest with God. God sees that hand. Thank you for being honest. You're being honest with yourself. And nothing's going to change until you begin to be honest with yourself. You can't be honest with God until you've been honest with yourself. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? Got talents you know of. You hadn't done it. Maybe your attitude is, I'm thinking about the weekend. I'm not thinking about my job. Anybody just got a, I want to get by attitude. If that's you, slip your hand up. It can be gone. God sees that hand. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for being honest. Things can happen in this kind of atmosphere when people get honest. You recognize it. November 27, 1979, I got honest with myself for the first time in my life, and I realized I was a sinner going to hell. That couldn't have been happened if I hadn't got honest with myself, realized what was going on. Lord Jesus, I thank you right now that you saw the hands that went up. You know the exact circumstances surrounding what's going on in their life. You know what's taking place in their thought life. You know what they're being... Uh, their oppositions are. And Lord, I thank you that they take these abilities that you've given them, the God-given abilities, and they begin to work with it. They begin to develop. They begin to seek your face. They begin to study the Scriptures to find out what's the use of this thing. How do I go about it? And Lord, you saw the hands that went up about the just-get-by attitude. Nobody wants to be known for just getting by. But people do that. So, Lord, I thank you for those who raised their hand that was honest enough to admit that they had that attitude. And, Lord, because of their honesty, I thank you, Lord, that you'll give them the grace, the empowerment to overcome that attitude. To overcome that, 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 that weight that's holding them back. And, Lord, I thank you that they'll be free. They're free. They're free to be able to become all that you call them to be. And, Lord, I thank you that in their life, they will shine forth your light. They will be able to tell people, at one time, I had this kind of an attitude until I gave it to the Lord. 
then I work 365, eight hours a day so that I can do what I've been called to do, so that I can bring honor and glory to the Lord. And Lord, I declare blessings upon the people today. Let them have a great afternoon. Let them have a good day. As they came blessed, I thank you, Lord, they leave blessed. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. I know I went a little long this morning. And uh, I'll probably do it again before it's over with. I've been here 20 years. I, I do that from time to time. I'll, I'll be long. But I felt it was important because this was the last thing that Jesus was talking about. About the people in the house. That's us. That's us. I wouldn't want to dare see anybody that's here not make it. And I sure want to make it. So I'm going to keep making adjustments. How about you? Amen. Well, let's make one right now for lunch. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.